This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! to talk about that, Rog. <laughs> We're going to talk about that. Holy crap. Where are we, mate? We're riding with your people now, Dave. We're, we're, with, we're, with, we're with my people. We're with my people. From Embassy Row, Rog. The real Embassy Row in Washington, D.C., Rog. Not the Embassy Row studios at my crap company in the crap part of Soho. We are live from the British Embassy. In our nation's capital. It's the Men in Blazers podcast. Oh, a lot of West Brom fans in here tonight. Oh, a lot of West Brom. A lot of West Brom. Oh, it's us, podding live from the bowels of the ballroom. Yes, there is a room that's named in the British Embassy already after LeVar Ball. Or Alan Ball. AKA, we're here tonight because Davo kind of hopes that a certain somebody might be getting a surprise knighthood. No, no, that's not true. No, no, look, let me just be very clear. Sir David Beckham deserves to be first on the knighthood front. I'm happy being plain old Davo, a man over the age of 50, of some means, Roger. <laughs> and if anyone believes that, let me introduce you to Roger. Roger Stone. <laughs> Sir Michael. I like um, that. Ah, Sir Michael, S-E-R yeah, Michael. They'll also, let's stop deflecting. Let's just admire the lengths that you will go to to gather all these people here just so that you can meet your handlers. <laughs> Oh, at MI6. MI6. My handlers. Anyway, it's my cover. That. Excellent cover. Uh, it's the whole reason we set up this pod seven years ago. Okay. <laughs> Irrespective, I can't tell you what it means for us. I really can't. As Englishmen. Britishmen. L- <laughs> Liverpudlians. To my be here Scottish. in the British Embassy. Not because of our usual MO in a British Embassy, which means we've been arrested and we're pleading for an amnesty and want to talk asylum. <laughs> but because we've been invited by the ambassador himself and to be here, especially on this poignant week in which Chelsea lose. (laughs) (laughs) To Burnley. Burnley! Everton win. Everton win. Rooney scores. Rooney! And Huddersfield Town are second in the table. We are going to be talking about that. We are. Coffeffy. What a night. What a night to be in front of a bigly crowd like this. It's true. The crowd, Rog. We don't need to wait for the park service to verify the size of this crowd. (laughs) Yeah, just for all... You know what? Let's just be hearing you to hear the size. So in Podland, they can hear how large this crowd is. Oh my, uh, 
honestly, there's not, there's not been a sound like that out of American throats since, since Piers Morgan was extradited. <laughs> the reality is, for those of you listening to this pod at home, just know that this was the largest GFOP audience to ever witness a suboptimal Men in Blazers inauguration, period. <laughs> and to prove it, Lexi, producer Lexi, let's hear it. She's going to take a photo. Yeah. <laughs> Producer Lexi! <laughs> okay, enough of all of our alternative facts, Roger, especially yours. What is undebatable? What a city this is, Washington, D.C. Oh, we love it here. We do. JFK. JFK. You remember JFK, right? Jürgen Klinsmann. Could be Jürgen Klopp, Rog. Yeah, Jürgen I mean, Klopp. it was either Jürgen Klinsmann, Jürgen Klopp, or... John F. Kennedy, one of the three, said of DC that it's a city of southern efficiency and northern charm. <laughs> if that was England, it'd be the ultimate compliment. But now, whenever we're here to sully it, just when the swamp was almost totally drained, we're here to make it swampier. No swamp, this city, but it was home to our late muse, George Michael, <sighs> Rog, of the George Michael Sports Machine. One of the first things that we did upon signing a deal with the NBC Sports it's the only was to, reason we it's the only reason we did it was to work out a way to acquire the, the original signage from that remarkable 1990s sports staple, which was filmed just a few blocks west of here on Nebraska Avenue. I've got to say, both David and I, when we both arrived here, shared the same experience as Englishmen new to this country in the early 90s. For those too young to remember the legend that was George Michael, just think American Julio Iglesias. <laughs> to watch him, oh, it was to glimpse the mechanic of everything that made America the sole world superpower. Having grown up in 1980s England, where literally we did not have highlights. We didn't have television. We didn't have electricity. <laughs> <laughs> they, would, they would just tell you the score occasionally. And soccer was perceived as way too déclassé to make the evening news. Sports Machine, when we arrived in America, was a weekly half-hour revelation. Athletic pursuit was out in the open. Sports was entertainment, elite human achievement, and sometimes the human achievement of squirrels water skiing behind boats. Amazing, <laughs> amazing. Was enhanced by a coat of glorious schmaltz. By the way, George Michael, he'd be like, let me take you to Cleveland Municipal Stadium. And then they'd whisper in their ears, they'd run out of like sports rights, and he'd be like, let me take you to the Dwarf Rodeo. It was good just as him. good. And back then, we hadn't glimpsed the NHL, the wonder that was your NHL. We, hadn't, we didn't know who Cal Ripken Jr. was. We, 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 we were yet to fully understand exactly how Pat Riley did that thing with his hair that he does. <laughs> but the way that George Michael just narrated the world, it sucked us in. The man was completely at ease, both selling the fiction and being in on the joke. And he's the man, honestly, that I've always wanted to grow into. It's why you look so much like him, Rog. <laughs> We've both had a lot of work done. <laughs> we are honored to be podding from his city, Washington, D.C., and Jim Vance's city, Washington, D.C. Yeah. Another great legend. 
from that era. It is. Who it's we a, miss daily. It's and a it's town of giants, Rog, both figuratively and literally. Who can forget seven foot seven, oh. George Murasan. You're the man, you're the man. That's why I'm a Bullets fan. Bad brains. Oh, band in, band in DC. Oli Kolsik. Oh, Oli the goalie. Do we have a photo? Oh, there you are. There we go. Look at that. That is one of the, I will tell you, and I will fight anyone who disagrees with this, one of the top three North American sports mustaches of all time. <laughs> this, Rog, it's the city in which Maxine Waters plies her trade. Oh, I got to tell you, that is the woman that Gal Gadot wishes she was. <laughs> the original Wonder Woman, Rog. How about Ben's Chili Bowl? I've got to tell you, half smokes, they are scientifically proven to enhance athletic performance. And if you want proof, just ask Rod Strickland. Okay, the next one I'm excited about, Rog. Jeff Agoose. <laughs> that was terrible, mate. Jeff Agoose. <laughs> oh, the single greatest soccer player of all time. Named Jeff Agoose. With a mullet. Another slightly lesser known resident of this city during the A Goose glory years, you, Rog. <laughs> you so, somehow. Still, still with the toupee in those days. It was going. Problems in sectors 3.1, 2, 3, and 4. For, the, for those of you listening at home, I've got the same haircut as Harry Kane right now. Somehow, you've engineered a second stop on the Rog Visits American Cities in which he used to live tour. <laughs> Two weeks ago, Chicago. Tonight, D.C. Oh, I did. I lived here in your beautiful city. <laughs> in Adams Morgan, at Columbia and Calorama. <laughs> between 1996 and 2000, when I was asked to leave. <laughs> Big Hunt. <laughs> Toledo Lounge. Million Owls yeah. and the Black Cat. Yeah. Oh, Davo, I had a little idea, I've got to tell you, at that time. That's me and the big hunt right there. Oh. I mean, you must have been beaten up a lot. There's two of me, I could have handled myself. <laughs> 17 years later, that I would be sat at the bloody British Embassy to welcome the return of the 2017-18 Premier League season and celebrating football, beautiful football, one of Britain's greatest exports to the world. Whoa, I would never have believed you. Yeah, name me a bigger one, Rog. Right up there in your mind with Philip Larkin poems, if you love those, and the Harris Tweed industry. You almost single-handedly support that. So let's do this. A weaver. Live from the stunning surrounds of the British Embassy's palatial ballroom, a truly remarkable space. The Queen hosted Presidents Eisenhower, Ford, and two Bushes here. Churchill. Billy. Billy Churchill. And who else? <laughs> no, not Billy Bush. I don't think he was one of them. He might have been here. But that's not the ones we were talking about. Winston Churchill, Rog, once calculated that if all the champagne he had drunk in this room was poured onto the floor, it would be three feet deep. <laughs> Piers Morgan's extradition papers were actually signed here, Rog. It's true, on this table. There's still pee-pee down here. <laughs> um, and for one night only, redecorated, looking at you all in what can I, what is that Liverpool kit that's brown? <laughs> oh my God. In what can only be 
Cool. We need a brown kit. We need a brown kit. What's missing? Oh, a brown kit. Can only be called West Brom Chic. For tonight, this historic venue plays host to our crap, David. It, it does. It's time to open our first can of Guinness, Rog. We're going to make a toast, but make it quick, Rog, before this show becomes longer than a Strom Thurmond filibuster. I want to raise my Guinness, my first Guinness. Oh, listen to that. <laughs> oh, that is the opposite of shitty-ass grape juice. I want to raise my first Guinness to the site of the first Premier League tunnel of the season. <laughs> Which, to me, it's like the first cherry blossom, or hearing the first cuckoo, or the first time your lips brush those of a loved one. <laughs> Or a welcome back Wayne Rooney poster in my case. <laughs> so join me in raising a point to the Premier League being back and life having meaning again. <laughs> Very good. Life having meaning. That, by the way, if you listen to the podcast on any kind of regular or semi-regular basis, that is the fastest Rog has managed to pour a Guinness and the only time in memory that it's not gone all the way down his shirt. <laughs> Shouldn't have worn white pants, though. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Rog, uh, we better get down to it. We will delve into the football with the help of some special guests tonight, but we would be remiss at this remarkable, unprecedented time in our nation's history if we did not gauge the temperature of our nation's capital right now. Yep, Dave, we're going to go a little bit, if you will indulge us, a little bit New York Times, The Daily. I'm going to go a little bit Michael Barbaro on your ass right now. <laughs> Thrush, is that you? Uh-huh, yeah, it's Barbaro. <laughs> Rog, you leave Michael Barbaro alone. He's a proper journalist. <laughs> so is our first guest, who has come to help us understand more about Washington's inner workings. He's a man who's covered Congress and the White House for nearly three decades. We awesome. welcome to the show, CBS News Chief White House Correspondent, host of the Takeout Podcast, a man with one of the best names in the biz, the one and only Major Garrett. Oh. With your indulgence. Mr. Ambassador, this blessed plot, this earth, this realm, this England. Richard II, scene one. Thank you, everyone. Major Garrett. <laughs> Talk about a buzzkill. Nothing like Shakespeare to kill the audience, right? Major Garrett, you'd be a very good Caliban, let's be honest. But with a name like that, you had two choices in life. To either become one of America's foremost journalists or become quarterback for the Houston Texans. That's right, exactly. You chose to become a journalist, and we've got you on here to understand DC with us right now. I mean, you are the perfect gem for the job. You've worked at CNN, mm -hmm. Fox News, yep. now CBS. US News and World Report, The Washington Times. I've had a cover story in Mother Jones and Weekly Standard, probably the only journalist in America who can say that. The Is one it? common thread there, ladies and gentlemen, between Mother Jones and The Weekly Standard, the checks both cleared. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> This guy, and all of you know what I mean. Let all me translate this for you. I mean. This guy is essentially the Yossi Benayoun of television. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've played everywhere in your nearly 30 years. Everyone wants me until they hire me. That's the real. That's the thing. But that actually is very appropriate. Mm -hmm. Perfect analogy. You can relate to that, right? Yeah, totally. Okay. 
We're here in Washington, 208 days into the Trump administration. I've got to be honest, I've spent three-fifths of that time because I tooted it up, refreshing Maggie Haberman's Twitter feed to find out <laughs> what is going on. And then feeling like crap, feeling full of doom, and then 10 minutes later doing the same thing again. I think the Germans must have a word for that. But you, you're, you're covering it. What is your dominant emotion? Is it adrenaline, excitement, competition? Fear? Well, when you mentioned three-fifths, uh, I feel like I basically need to consume three-fifths every week <laughs> to get on through this, okay? Um, Adrenaline's certainly part of it. Exhaustion's another part of it. I mean, so much comes at you, and uh, I've said this before, I'll say it again. The most challenging part of Trump the candidate, Trump the president, is separating the interesting from the important. And there's so many things that happen in the Trump campaign that were interesting, but not necessarily the most important. And there are certainly things that happen in the Trump White House that are fascinating, interesting, great clickbait, create tremendous conversation, but there are other things happening at the agencies, regulations, that are very important, very long-lasting, federal court appointments, U.S. attorneys, all that other stuff, and being able to focus on those long-lasting, important things in addition to everything else that everyone is quite naturally and obviously talking about, which we have to pay attention to, is the great challenge of covering the velocity and the volume of what is the Trump White so House. So what you're really saying is the thing that you are steely-eyed focused on if I'm getting your drift, is will America win the 2026 World Cup? Uh, precisely. That's what it all gets that's down to. That's what it all mm -hmm. gets down to. It, everything gets back to football, right? Yeah. Uh, as I like to refer to the next uh, two or three World Cups, the Unique Territories World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the job of political journalism has been redefined in the past seven months. Press conferences have become similar to those with Nigel Pearson after a Leicester loss circa 2014. While you walking into the James Brady press briefing room, when you're doing that, are you psyching yourself up? Are you giving yourself a pep talk? Are you working on an Aikido move that's going to get you real useful information? What's your mindset as you're going through that tunnel? That's a really interesting and well-developed question, and I'm going to answer it in an incredibly boring way because I have told all of my colleagues in the industry, a serious answer here, there are tremendous emotions involved in the assailing of American journalism, the diminishing of American journalism, the degrading of American journalism, and if you let your emotions get the better of you, you can become emotional in that contest. The most important thing about journalism is to not be emotional about what you're doing, to be invested in the facts and the curiosity and the relentless pursuit of the best available truth of that day. And so when I go into the briefings, I keep it very simple very unemotional, and I try to contrast what the president has either said publicly with what he said in the past or what's happening and what's not, and leave it at that, and keep it very, very simple, and most importantly, unemotional. You'd be a terrible sports journalist. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I can't remember a time in which journalism, especially political journalism, has been so front and center in American life. I mean, to a large degree, politics has become the new sports. Maggie Haberman, she is LeBron James. <laughs> Jim Acosta, he is Conor McGregor. But probably tougher. There's some elbows, sure. Jesse Waters. Waters, 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 Waters. He's Kurt Schilling. <laughs> I, I wanna, how has that like intensified 
the competition between you and your colleagues. But look, I can speak to this based on the resume that you read off because I've lived through the team identification of American journalism, okay? When I worked at Fox, there were people who thought I was trustworthy and a great journalist because I worked at Fox, not because I was any of those things a great journalist. Or they, because I worked at Fox, I had the same jersey, and they would meet me at airports and tell me things in very same respects. When I left Fox and Chelsea went to National Thomas. Journal, when I went to Fox and went to National yeah. Journal, and I would show up on MSNBC, people on my Twitter feed would say, wow, Major had a reverse lobotomy. He used to be an ignorant, ridiculous journalist at Fox. Now he's got a brain, because why? I was appearing on MSNBC, because that was their jersey. That was their uh, orientation toward this the news. This is a nice anticipation of a conversation we're going to be having about Wayne Rooney and Roger. Yeah, there we go, good, good. <laughs> I was just going to say, we've done you a service tonight because we are going to unify all thoughts about you, Major, after being on our podcast tonight. <laughs> Everyone's going to think, Major, it's a bit sad. Yeah, it's uh, so sad. But so the, real sad. the reality is, it is surreal. When but, now, but now I will tell you this. When I'm stopped at airports, people don't ask me about who I work for or identify me. They just say, and this is, again, a buzzkill, but it's serious. Keep doing what you're doing. It's important. We're counting on you. That's it. That's all they ever say to me. And then they just politely walk away. I feel this interaction completely differently than I've ever felt in my entire journalism career. Because you are our last great hope. But when, when you've, that moment when you finish your stand-up after a press conference, when Acosta's done his, when Hallie Jackson's done hers. Mm -hmm. Well, I, mostly I listen to them, so then I do mine. <laughs> <laughs> do you just like look at each other and shake your heads? Do you laugh? Do you cry? Or do you just all head straight to the bar for a therapeutic Guinness together? A combination of all of those things. Um, it does feel different because it is different. Let's not kid ourselves. This is all different. If it feels different, it is different. If it looks different, it sounds different. It is different. Everyone in America knows this is different. And in some cases, different is not necessarily bad. It's just different. But in other cases, it's different and bad, and people react to it exactly that way. In the last two weeks, we've had a classic example of this. You talk to the people in the foreign policy community, and they say, look, Trump called out Kim Jong-un, and he talked to him in ways that he can understand, and he backed down. Trump may have done something different, but maybe he used language that was, in the short term, effective. Different doesn't necessarily mean terrible in every respect. Different this week, Charlottesville, we all know what that means. And this country is absorbing that and reacting to it in all of the ways that our country in the last 40 years has come to recognize that language and more importantly, the absence of the language that should come from the President of the United States. Honestly, it's why we love football, because the great aid to repression, right? <laughs> <laughs> and escape. Uh, talking of different, your podcast, The Takeout, fabulous. Everyone, go download it. Please, please. It's a podcast about politics, policy, and pop culture. The part I like, you do it from different restaurants around D.C. So most important question for me of this entire interview, top three meals in Washington, D.C. So we go to lots of different restaurants. One restaurant we can't get into is the best Indian restaurant in Washington, Rasika. You can never get a you can never get a table there. My favorite dish there is chicken tikka masala, which, as they say on the menu, the national dish dish of England. Yeah. Okay, all right. Much. 
And then if you've ever been there, the flash fried spinach. I can't pronounce it. Absolutely killer, okay? When I go to Old Ebbet Grill, we've done the podcast there before, but I've been laying down money there for 30 years, okay? Lunchtime, trout parmesan, you cannot go wrong. And if you go to Riss, a restaurant here in, uh, not here, but uh, in the uh, West End, have the chicken milanese. Riss didn't get a chair. They're the Bournemouth of the yeah. DC restaurant world. Riss! There we go. Those are the three best meals that oh. you can have in D.C., according to me. My I favorite like is still the big But the whole company. idea of the podcast is we do what people do in their actual lives, but we make it a podcast. What do people do? They eat food, and they talk about politics, life, culture, pop culture, things they're interested in, and that's what we've built it around. And we create a theater of the mind experience where the restaurant's part of, a, part of, the, part of the event. It's, part, <sighs> it's a character in the whole podcast. My favorite so restaurant is download. the Fox and Hounds. Yeah. And, and, we, and we drink during the podcast as well, which oh. you can tell if you're a really careful listener. Uh-huh. And, well, the, and the big hunt is a very nice thing. burger. <laughs> Major Garrett, I've got to say, I, for one, am so elated that your Houston Texans career did not pan out. <laughs> so we, are the Houston Texans. We generally did. We watch you in the press room, day in, day out. We watch you with awe and wonder. You really are, to me, what the First Amendment's all about. And tonight, join me, raise a glass to the entire White House press corps and say, Major Garrett, courage. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Major Garrett. We're off. We're off and running. In truth, with North Korea simmering, nukes pointing at Guam, and all that is going on in this country right now, thank God that for its 25th year anniversary, Premier League football soccer is back. Repression is life, America. So true. I'm going to share a little secret with you right now. I think the best way to calm my nerves about North Korea... I like to think about Kim Jong-un as just your run-of-the-mill Stoke City fan. <laughs> like that guy. There he is. He doesn't want to hurt us. That guy, just, he doesn't, he doesn't. There, there else he is. That gentleman. By the way, the best-looking Stoke City fan in history. He's had some work done. I mean, like, he's like Fabio in Stoke City land. What, what's your name? Robert, think about Robert. Don't call him King Yongun. Just think about Robert as a man who can complete the miniaturization of nuclear warheads. Yeah, he can do it. But can he do it on a cold, rainy night at the Bet 365 with a lowercase <laughs> p? No, he can't. Feel a lot safer now. Anyway, all I could think of last Friday when the referee blew that whistle to start the 2017-18 campaign at the Arsenal-Leicester game, I just looked at myself in the reflection of the television screen, and I thought, we're all just one new season kickoff closer to our deaths. (laughs) (laughs) Got finite football to enjoy, David. This This is the man I work with almost every day. But enough with the darkness. Let's focus on the light, Rog. Let's do what everyone else in the world is doing right now, completely overreacting to the first week of the new Premier League season. Rooney! 
All the big, shiny new strikers scored on their debuts. So much young British talent on display. Raheem Harper, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Tom Davis, Sam Field, Tammy Abraham, and of course, old man Marcus Rashford. No one, no one in football can defend. No one, Rog. And the thing I loved about this weekend, David and me, we're in the upside down. <laughs> I'm just like glowing, glowing. Yeah. Am I not? Pay testimony to this. Yeah, we're Premier League champions. With a feeling, <laughs> everything's possible right now. And judging by your Twitter feed during the Chelsea game, David, I was playing golf. Come on, Burnley! You are most undavid like When I thought about you this weekend, when I did, I spent a little five minutes thinking about you. I thought about, I thought about Bob. Poor Bob. Trapped in a dark, cold, foggy alternate reality to the human world. <laughs> replete with a slug coming out of your mouth in the upside down. No. I shot... But enough about Chelsea. I shot, a, I shot a 38 on the back nine, including a birdie on the 18th. I was really fine. We're going to discuss Chelsea later, Rog, with the ambassador who bleeds Pedro Blue. Can we hear it for the ambassador? The ambassador. We're in his bedroom right now, so... <laughs> We're also going to talk about Spurs a little later, but what an opening weekend of football, Rog. A not-in-the-face weekend. I don't like to be hyperbolic. You know me, guys, but is it... Is it too premature to declare this as the greatest Premier League season of all time? Yes, a little early, Rog. Okay, ask any Arsenal fan. <laughs> oh, you were at war with yourselves. I love it. By the way, that, that, do that noise again. That, that was Bannon Trump. <laughs> we start with the red half of North London, which lit the fuse on this Premier League season, with a blowtorch Friday night at home against Leicester. After taking the lead behind a goal from summer signing, Alexandre Lagazette. <laughs> Arsenal's mob managed to fall behind 2-1, and then 3-2. Arsenal Twitter was amazing during this game. <laughs> but two goals in the game's last 10 minutes, an equaliser from celeb killer Aaron Ramsey, when he scores, the celebrity dies. And the winner of football's most ornate battering ram, Olivier Giroud. It gave Arsenal a 4-3 victory, transformed the Emirates and Arsene's face from funeral to festival. Oh. Chaos is a ladder, right, Arsenal fans? All right, I'll just say, your emotions. On one hand, before you could even mutter your first Wenger out of the season, really, your only joy... <laughs> Alexandre Lacazette is scored with his first shot, his second touch, one minute 34 into the game. He went full on French Josie on Leicester City. And before you could bellow, we're Lacazette's team now. Lacazette's team now. Your unshakable grip on the top of the table lasted about 17 seconds before your joy turned to ashes in your mouth. Okazaki, and then we've got to talk about Davo, a double from Jaime Vardy. Yeah, Jaime Vardy. Beers on the coach, on the plane. That he's man back. Is, he's Chumbawamba in human form, am I right? <laughs> I mean, I've got to say, if every human being looks like he drinks a whiskey drink, he drinks a vodka drink, <laughs> he drinks a lager drink, he drinks a cider drink, I've got to say, he does finish like the world's best half-rodent, half-human athlete. 
And I've got to applaud the fact that his binge drinking is clearly in mid-season form. <laughs> but that five o'clock shadow he had, he wasn't even trying to hide the hangover when he ran out <laughs> onto the field. And oh, we, the face, Rog. The, the which face, face though, David? Arsene's face. We've got to talk about Arsene's face. On the sideline, when Vardy scored, he pulled the kind of face, Arsene, of just fear, powerless violation, and self-loathing that I've only seen before at a Sean Spicer press conference. <laughs> but then, but then, a double sub. Genius, right, David? Who came on? Ramsey and Giroud. Changed the game, 83rd, 85th minute. They both took turns to score. I just want to say, Olivier Giroud fending off Harry Maguire and Wes Morgan. Oh, that man. <laughs> he's like, the only way I can describe him, he's like a footballing Tiffany Trump. <laughs> Honestly, nobody really appreciates either of them. But at the end of the day, both Tiff and the meaty French forehead they're the only ones who can reliably rescue us from the madness, David. Yeah. We're counting on them both. In Canada, lost in the madness, Arsenal fans, you felt every emotion of the whole season packed into 90 minutes. And this was an Arsenal... To me, Dave, I watched this game, I thought about you. It was an Arsenal display, ultimately, with spine, with grit, and with the single value that you love most in your teams, Dave. A oh, trait you in life, love. My children, bounce back ability. There's nothing more important than bounce back ability. It's something that Arsenal are always accused of lacking, mainly by me. But, <laughs> but they did it. They've become amazingly good at bouncing back in massive, impending, high-scoring disasters at home to open the season. Yep. They are the red adairs of football. Yeah. And the honest truth is... Arsene Wenger, never worried. Never worried for a second, <laughs> because that is a man who knows. Ultimately, Arsenal fans, they're among the wisest, <laughs> most patient, yeah. and most mature and long ball view in global world football. Right, David? I think our job, Rog, as Major Garrett's inspired us, is to try to separate the interesting from the important, or, or with, in our case, the crap from the important. David, uh, you know what? Major Garrett is a wise man and he understands the world, but if we did that, our show would be over. There'd be nothing to talk <laughs> about. <laughs> there'd, be, there'd be nothing left. But I think Arsenal look pretty good. I they think they look, look pretty good. good. I think Lacazette, Lacazette is like, oh, I'd like him. I would. I'd like that man. I think he looked very, very good, Rog. Let's talk about another team, David, that looked slightly less good. Well, Liverpool, Rog. Another seesaw. I've just had a message from Lexi, producer Lexi. Don't applaud her because you won't like this message. It's in hostage writing. <laughs> and it says, it says, we finished all the beer in the embassy. <laughs> <laughs> Mazel tov, GFOPs. You are savage. Let's <laughs> <laughs> say... Guys, we drank all the beers. I, I, there was one line I missed out in the first opening of my script, which was, pace yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> so, Liverpool, Rog. <laughs> so, Watford 3, Liverpool 3, a game a bit like... Are the Watford fans here tonight? <laughs> <laughs> it's... It was a game, it was a bit like watching the Gilbert Arenas era Wizards, Rog, when defending... 
was optional. Watford went up 2-1 in the first half, only to fall behind 3-2 early in the second half. But in the 93rd minute, Miguel Britos scored the season's first crap and controversy-laced goal. I did that on the TV show the other day. We had to stop. We can't stop now. To split the spoils, that result, coupled with Coutinho's transfer request, have left Liverpool fans with, as our mate Korean Billy would say, quite a cob on. Oh, Philip Coutinho. I've got to say, Spurs fans. Anyone here tonight a Spurs fan? That you was were... even higher pitched than the Arsenal screen. <laughs> it's because Bannon Trump's left. But you, you have tried your fans' nerves this transfer window. Liverpool fans, hold my beer. I want to say one quick thing about Coutinho. I think he's a fantastic footballer. On the field, he is the most dramatic player in the Premier League. He's incredibly inconsistent. But off it, his power is almost symbolic to Liverpool fans. He is a symbol of the club's world-class standing. It's like a barometer of where you are in terms of the hierarchy of the food chain. And the sad reality... I say this with no relish because it goes for most English clubs right now. Liverpool are to Barcelona what Southampton are to Liverpool. <laughs> I've got, I'd also tell you, this is rational, not emotional. I would, take, I would take the 90 million, I would take the 100 million that you're being offered, and I would buy Christian Pulisic with 60 million of that. <laughs> and I, I'd control the American marketplace for the next decade, Davo. But let's talk about the game. Because last season, Liverpool, God, they were against top seven. Yeah. In that mini-league, they were top of the table, but they yeah. just bumbled consistently against the bottom half of the table. Cue this game. Yeah, exactly the same. Moreno starting again in the back four, Rog. Yeah, and Liverpool, beginning this season as they finished the loss, couldn't defend set pieces. 27 Premier League goals they conceded since Klopp took over in 2015. And I've got to say, again, rational, not emotional, but your tactical decision to devote the bulk of your preseason to practicing the post-match hugs <laughs> rather than defending it did come back to haunt you over and over. Yep. I'll say also, it's all Coutinho's fault. He's five foot seven. He should be locking things down at the back if he <laughs> yeah. was playing. Yeah, that was uh, Liverpool Twitter, Rog. But there was momentary respite, Davo. Yeah. What was it like seeing Mo Salah, Egyptian, Jason Manzukis? Yeah, he's, he, he's fast, Rog. He is quick. I mean, anybody who's seen him play in Champions League um, has seen a very, very good footballer. Uh, didn't play a lot at Chelsea under Mourinho, I think you have to say. He ran around a lot until he had to run to the sideline to get substituted. Uh, but I think he looked very good. He did look fantastic. His finishing is definitely Raheem Sterling-esque. He caught one from, uh, from Chris Wondolowski range. And I... <laughs> Look, we're on. I just want to say the. I just want to say. I just want Brit the British Embassy is an enclave that works on British rules and law. <laughs> so also Roberto Firmino, his dentures already on mid-season form. Another great goal. But just when they seem to have salvaged it at the death, still more time for Benny Hill defending. <laughs> Liverpool. I know you listen to this pod. Go NFL style. Get a dedicated defensive coordinator. Sign Vic Fangio. 
Watford scrambled that ball home, and I've got to applaud Watford. I know you've got no fans here, but I want to say... <laughs> and all that hard work you've spent on scoring crap goals, it really paid off. And to all teams who play Liverpool this season, a little tactical hint, winning a corner against Liverpool, it's as good as a penalty. Very, very true, Rog. <laughs> OK, Rog, now to a team that spent, uh, <laughs> spent quite a lot of time in the Air and Space Museum gift shop this transfer window, just like you, Rog. Man City 2, Brighton and Hove Albion nil. Wow, Man City fans, uh, rather than Brighton and Hove Albion fans, thinking that was quite a good result. Goals from Sergio Aguero and a Lewis Dunk beauty of an own goal. We love an own goal. Proved the difference in a game between two uneven forces. Their economic gulf Captured best by the truth, Manchester City have spent more on fullbacks in this past month than Brighton and Hove Albion have spent on their club's crown jewel stadium and training facility. All right, we're going to delve in deep, go right to the hard-hitting tactical questions that everyone in world football is asking. I mean, this is about positional changes, people. No one could possibly have predicted this brilliance. David Silver, welcome to Team Ball. Yeah. I've got to say, in the words of Shakespeare, some men are born bald. Some achieve baldness, and some have baldness thrust upon them. There's players who seem to have problems in sectors, evidently, Mkhitaryan, Juan Mata. There's players for whom rain is truth, talking about you, Harry Kane. But did any of you hear, any of you, really, did any of you see David Silver's beautiful baldness revealing itself. Did you see that as a storyline coming? What's, what do you think's driving his need to go bald, to join us, Rog, in Baldland? It's funny you ask, Dave. <laughs> I've actually given this a little bit of thought. And by a little bit of thought, I mean, I've not slept since I saw him trundle onto the field like looking at, like one of the aliens from Mars Attacks. <laughs> so my first thought is... He's trolling us, David. <laughs> but then I thought, David Silver, he's so cute and cuddly. He's not that guy, is he? So number two, David Silver, ultimate teammate. He did this as a silent tribute to the passing of fallen hair heroes, Pablo Zabaleta and Willie. There they are. There we are. Probably not. Number three, I think David Silver... And Pep Guardiola had a bet that Pep Guardiola would not dare dress like Chuck Bass in Gossip Girl. <laughs> I know, Pep, you're listening to this. I want to tell you, mate, black socks, khaki chinos worn to the ankle and white sneakers, it's a dangerous game. <laughs> you could pull that off, right? I think it's quite a good look. I think it's quite solid. You go sockless, Dave. I like it. But then I worked it out. I went back to the tape of David Silver last season. And then I saw it. Yes, he had thick, luscious hair, but it was so artfully arranged, so contrived. I think David Silva's been balding in plain sight all this time, like Andrea Gassi, Davo. And the exhaustion of the lie, the charade, like a Spanish Rasnikov, ground down by the truth. He's hidden for so long. This was a confession, Davo. This was, this was Dostoyevsky. You have spent a lot of time thinking about this, haven't you, Rod? I, th 
simply though, David, I've come to this conclusion. I think many of you who have beautiful hair out there may come to realize this. We're in a post-truth, post-hair world. <laughs> <laughs> hair denying is now a thing, David. We'll, yeah. we'll discuss this on our other podcast, Baldness Today. <laughs> but yes, yeah, City, they were quite good. Let's resist the judgment to come to conclusions right now. Let's make saner decisions in October. But holy crap, they're going to win the league, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like watching a corporation play football. Yes. You know they're really good. You know they're really efficient at what they do. But they sort of feel like they're wearing corporate jerseys, like it's not really a club kit. And it's just tough for me. I mean, producer JW loves watching Man City. And God bless him, because we don't have to. Cheer for JW. Cheer for JW. But I thought they were brilliant. I thought they were brilliant at the weekend. And I looked at them, I thought, oh, this team's going to win the title. But I pretty much decided I have no interest in watching them play for the rest of the season. <laughs> um, okay, Rog, let's go to the more exciting, certainly football-wise, part of Manchester, side of Manchester, Man United. <laughs> Long term, this is who I'm really scared about. Man United 4, West Ham 0. A brace <laughs> for your ex, Rog, Romelu Lukaku. And a goal apiece for the ghost of transfer windows past Anthony Martial and dab aficionado Paul Pogba. See United win a game that began with perhaps the biggest letdown of the season. Joe Hart's long-awaited return from exile. He gave us crap tunnel, Rog. He did. He did, he did give us crap tunnel, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, horrible tunnel. And I've got to say, what horrors did that man witness while he was in Italy? He was a shell of himself in that Old Trafford Forget Tunnel. Forget about his keeping. It was his tunnel performance that it we were was. worried about. I mean, that Old Trafford Tunnel is an orifice that Joe Hart used to dominate. <laughs> I've, uh, the only thing I tell myself is, I don't think Joe Hart's had time to like, learn his teammates' names so he can tell them to make magic happen. That never stopped him before. Get on the ball, whatever your name is. <laughs> make magic happen, thingy. <laughs> um, a GFOP at Drosha said, Joe Hart only speaks Italian now. Give him time to adjust. All I know is that without Joe Hart slapping his bald teammates on the back of the head, yanking back Andy Carroll's man bun in a tunnel, we may not have a Men in Blazers show. We don't have a show. There's no show. Yeah, simply nothing to talk about. So, Rog, interesting talking point. Lukaku scored. Who? How, how Who? did that feel with the badge and kissing the badge when he knocked it in the back of the net. He, al he always scores against West Ham. <laughs> I gotta say, <sighs> when that ball dropped him, well, it was squeaked it was, over the line. It was kicked in by him. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I will say, has anyone subscribed to People Magazine here? A lot of hands went up. I, I was there, a lot of hands went up here, podcast listeners. Yeah, boy, almost universal. Yeah. Because I instantly gained a new appreciation for what Jennifer Aniston must have felt when she saw the first photos of Brad Pitt and Angela Jolie. <laughs> but we all know how that ended. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but, Just new <laughs> levels of darkness. But, 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 but. but. I want to say, when, when he did kiss his badge, unnecessarily, but good for social media reasons, I, did, I, I felt the kind of levels of reserve that I normally only keep for, 
for television broadcast of Sebastian Gorka. Anyway, <laughs> deflecting Matic. Yeah. He was the standout. How did you feel? <laughs> uh, yeah, certainly pundits now talk about him as if he is Serbian and Golo Kante when he was probably only Chelsea's seventh or eighth best player last season. But I thought he was very good in the middle of Man United's midfield. He looks like a fit. Uh, doesn't have to move very fast in there. He's got a lot of very fast players around him. And certainly that first goal was made by Matic, a classic dispossession of the other West Ham, Pedro Obiang. I met him in Ibiza this summer. Nice guy. And uh, feeds, feeds the old man Rashford. Uh, and then uh, goal. And it was made by Matic. Amazing thing about Mourinho, he knows where the Matic on-off switch is. And Matic also brought out the best of Paul Pogba also. But it, for me, watching, it wasn't just a win for Manchester United. It was the first dominant, swaggering performance. Robbie Earle actually said at halftime, he said, he doesn't sit on the fence, Robbie. He said, that was United's best performance of the season. He's <laughs> <laughs> right, you can't argue with that. I know, I, I, I want to say I wouldn't go that far. But <laughs> I will say that performance was exactly what United fans have dreamed of since David Moyes was appointed. Yeah. <laughs> and he dropped Ander Herrera. He did, did lots of clever little Mourinho-ish yeah, yeah, uh, like things. United are going to have sterner tests. How will they fare against teams that actually do want to play football against them? We'll find out. They have a kind, they have a kind start to the season. But October the 21st, pencil it in now. Manchester United... United fans, are you here? Yeah. I want, I'm going to fill you with fear. October 21st, Manchester United versus Huddersfield Town. <laughs> the match that will determine the like Premier the League thing. title. Up the Terriers! Up the Terriers! <laughs> yeah. I've got to just tell you, simply put, and I think you will all agree with me when I say this, happiness is a Huddersfield Town Premier League goal. Yeah. Well, not if you're a Crystal Palace fan. We, do, we all believe in visions. Go on. Okay, Rog, here we go. Brace yourself. Now to a game that did everything it could to bring down the high-scoring, free-flowing, generally exciting nature of this opening weekend. Everton won. Stoke City nil. A game that was not easy on the eye, bar one minute of wonder, when after 4,837 days away from Everton, 4,837 days when he's been declared by many in the media business to be arguably the world's crappest footballer. Daddy's home! Wayne Rooney rose to ram home a majestic winner, a winner that you cannot imagine any Everton player since Duncan Ferguson actually scoring. Stephen Naismith. <laughs> Rog, you have spent the past 10 years describing Rooney as some kind of footballing David Hasselhoff, <laughs> writhing on the floor with a cheeseburger. How did, oh, yeah, that moment, how did that moment feel? Are you talking about Wayne Rooney? The stallion who mounts the world! <laughs> I, I want to say, it's been 13 years since that lad last played for Everton Football Club in the Premier League. There have been babies that have been conceived. I've had four of them. <laughs> Bar Mitzford and then watched him for the first time since he left 
And I'll say, Wayne Rooney left as a goal scorer. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and he returns as one. A bloated salmon returns upstream. <laughs> I didn't to say bloated. To spawn and I said a die. Young to spawn and die. I quote one Roger Bennett. Rog, you hate Wayne Rooney and you completely <laughs> discount him as a footballer of any merit or ability. It's the only thing, I dare say, you have been consistent on <laughs> over seven years of working with you on this crap podcast. The only thing. New phone, who dis? <laughs> No. I will say, I will say, Steve Jobs, the late, great Steve Jobs. Yeah, a man who you have absolutely nothing in common with. <laughs> I think he was an Everton fan. <laughs> no, he wasn't. Let's claim him. He was, ah. Oh. <laughs> when I'm at home on my own watching television, I wear a black turtleneck occasionally, but... He would never admit he was wrong in meetings. Yeah, nor does the president. And for the last 13 years, I may have been confused, but as Steve Jobs would say in meetings, apparently, he'd say, I've innovated in my thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I do. And what I realize now is this, Dave. Blue really suits Wayne Rooney. And I, <laughs> I think it's figure flattering. I really do. I mean, when he snapped his head like that, which is something I can't do, I just saw muscle memory, to be candid. I saw Rooney's muscle memory when that ball floated in and he snapped his neck for glory like Doc, Doc Hudson in Cars. <laughs> Cars 3 is actually very good. Uh, and then my muscle memory as a fan, remembering the 19-year-old bull that he was when he left Everton Football Club. And I want to say, you want to look in your eye, I want to say, welcome back. Rukaku. <laughs> well, see, I still think he's a very good footballer. I've been consistent on that. And now, Rog, and now, Rog, you got Gilfie. Gilfie! I want to say, today has been a day of the tingling. <laughs> when your favourite footballer in the world signs for the club that you love. I wish you all that feeling one day. <laughs> the guy in the Bolton Wanderers jersey. Because now we've got Gilfie, the prince that was promised. <laughs> and when he signed, I really did. i tell you how I felt, Davo. I felt like that random gym trainer in Canada feels when Justin Bieber hits him up on Instagram. <laughs> and I want to just say, Ronald Koeman, I know you're listening. Big Ronnie. If you can bring back Tony Hibbert. We might have all the equipment we need to make a real title run. Yeah, and, and thank you, Gareth Barry, for your service, Rogers. he leaves the club. This season... Best Barry since Obama. May or may not be the greatest ever. But one week in, you, Rog, and I, Davo, have had a face-off. 13 going on 30. Freaky Friday body swap thing. You feel feelings. Ones of optimism. Of surging possibility. Of being alive! Yeah. Me, on the other hand, Rog. <laughs> Chelsea will get to them. Let's just say I found myself listening to Fast Cars by Tracy Chapman Saturday night. <laughs> oh. 
I've got a full-on Ronnie Koeman bulbous head tingling, Dave. Okay. Let's bring on a guest to yeah. calm me down. Let's talk about Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, massive fan of Tottenham Hotspur, Rog. He's a man the President of these United States called one of the dumber and least respected of the political pundits, <laughs> which makes him possibly the most perfect Carl fit Martin in the world him. for our know-nothing suboptimal crap. We welcome to the show a man with his head on Capitol Hill and his heart on Seven Sisters Road. Here to talk all things Spurs, the one and only Mr. Chris Saliza. What's it? Um, it's odd to have people like you. I don't have that normally. So you gotta go bald, mate. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's coming. It's not liking. It's just sympathy, dude. <laughs> but the reality is, we love you because we love anyone that loves football. Mm. And one of the things we're fascinated by is how Americans shorn of geography and geographical connection, just choose their Premier League team. Right. So we laugh at like American fans who have the same name as a sponsor. Thompson Holidays <laughs> get Tottenham tattooed on their arm several <laughs> years later. I have that. You know, that's a tramp stamp you're going to show us as your finale. You've just ruined it. But your Spurs story stems from something equal parts romantic and relatable. I mean, there's an element of disdain for Piers Morgan in there along the way, so do tell. So, thank you. Uh, So, I was... This is the Marouin Shamak era at Arsenal. The golden era? Yes. (laughs) I still miss his hair. Um, So does he. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, I wasn't going to root for Arsenal. Um... Because of Piers Morgan and Marwan Schmack's hair. Uh, and I had gotten into soccer because I had, um, my wife is a field hockey coach. And I. Tear it for field hockey. Yeah. Big. Wow. Bigger than the Watford applause. Um, and I had gotten to be friendly with the soccer coach at Catholic University just up the road. And he was like, oh, you gotta do this, blah, blah. So I figured, okay, I'm gonna watch this. I love sports. So I was looked around, and I tried to figure out who could I root for, uh, right? Yeah, yes. Now people end up in Tottenham. Yes. Well, <laughs> it's hurtful. Um, no, it's true. It's, just, it's and, just empirically true. And so I based it first on who I couldn't root for. So Arsenal, I mean, obviously I'm not going to root for Arsenal. Um, it's the worst. And, uh, and uh, John Terry was at the time in high his son had risen at Chelsea, so I wasn't going to root for them. He was the ambassador before this current one. <laughs> <laughs> JT. And um, so I, I was deciding between Fulham, who I rooted for initially, uh, but then they went down. <laughs> and I'm not that big a fan. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean? This, by we, the way, yeah. this, by the way, is why Major League Soccer is not jumping yeah. at pro rel. <laughs> what do you mean? We got relegated. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I then I started to look at Tottenham, and at the time, Tottenham had Gareth Bale, Luka Modric, and super fan Steve Nash, which I took to be three quality individuals that I could associate myself with. He loves grape juice. Yes. Uh, so Tottenham it was. My children are, and my wife are giant Liverpool fans. I showed my kids, uh, who are eight and five, I showed my kids, you never walk alone. 
before, and they, that was it for them. We don't, we they, Tottenham, they, we don't, and they love we the don't com- have a you never they walk the, alone. They love no, the, com- they love the comedy stylings yeah. <laughs> of Dejan Lovren. Yes. It's better than anything that's on Nick my Jr. Still, oh, Dejan Lovren's very my, funny. My son does not understand the Coutinho transfer. He's like, but he, he plays for Liverpool. I'm like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> For should, now. Your son is about to have an awakening yeah. life. If you're listening, what's his name? Charlie. Charlie Silizza. I named after Charlie Adam. Charlie Silizza. <laughs> Charlie, <laughs> it was Char- between that and John Joe Silizza. We went with <laughs> Charlie Silizza, if you're listening. And he will be listening. You're about to have an awakening. Life is ultimately nasty, brutish, and short. <laughs> Moments of happiness, like Tessa the Durbervilles, which I suggest you read around your 14th birthday. <laughs> happiness is but a fleeting emotion. But Rog, I love that five cards ago in the script, you yeah. wrote that we were reversed, and you were the happy one who was optimistic <laughs> and full of dreams. You've already gone the other way. David, this is me happy. I want to say this about you. I love this quote of yours, Chris Eliza. You You said once, the worst thing anyone can say about me on Twitter... Worse than go shoot yourself in the effing head. Yep. That's, someone said that to me. Is that I'm an Arsenal fan. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're the worst. They're the worst. I, I don't see other... Now, I will say... <laughs> I love America. I will say I that America. I... I, 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 fi- I find myself drawn to Olivier Giroud's handsomeness. I won't lie about that. But uh, uh, short of that, I just can't. I can't do it. Yep, he's the Zoolander of the Premier League. Go on, David. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got to delve into this weekend. Uh, Chris mm. Spurs beat Newcastle. Anyone want to buy this off me for $4,000? <laughs> <laughs> Spurs beat Newcastle 2-0 at St. James's Park despite being stretched thin at fullback thanks to the departure of Carl Walker and injuries to Kieran Trippier and Danny Rose. Some of the injuries being from Danny Rose's mouth. Stepping into those <laughs> slots, Ben Davis, no relation, and the double barrel named Kyle Walker-Peters. <sighs> Kyle Walker-Peters. I, I, I've got to say, I, th- I look at this Spurs team, CC. Mm. <laughs> you share initials with Chris Christie. Charlie Christ. Cameron Carter, Vickers. Um, <laughs> This Spurs team, they're an experiment in. Who needs transfers? I've got to say, here's a theory that I'm going to drop down for you. Spurs will be just fine. They have a cloning machine. There will be a Harry Kane Peters, a Deli Ali Peters. <laughs> and I, I've, this is a rumor, so I can't confirm or deny this, but we're in a safe zone here. English law in the embassy. <laughs> I believe Carl Walker Peters apparently has a son called... Carl Walker Peters Peters. <laughs> he, he's three. I think it's Carl Walker Walker Peters Peters. <laughs> Whatever it is. He's meant to be the real deal, right, David? <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah, the real world class of all the Carl Walkers. Here's what we want to know. Is what did you think of going into this game? Yeah, what were your expectations for this Hi. season? Hi. Really? I mean, we, because I'm technically yeah. on the team. Uh, yeah. we, Tottenham. Tottenham and Fulham. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> As long as Tottenham stays up, I'm with you. Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, we finished second. Underrated storyline. We have Sir Harry of Kane. We have Deli Ali, Eric Dyer, Christian Eriksen. You have John Joe Shelby. We had John Joe Shelby. <laughs> By the way, that may have been the stupidest red card that I have 
ever seen. The, the referee was eight feet away. John Joe going to John Joe. It was helpful. In, in the NBA, which you all loved, breaking ankles is a good thing, right? <laughs> I, I got to say, it was the single most idiotically self-destructive ball thing I've ever seen since Stephen Miller. But... <laughs> <laughs> But Dele responded, beat him, foul him, use dark arts against him, and he's learned how to channel your negativity for the power of good. You get three points out of three. Mm -hmm. Look into your magic, eight ball. How do you see this year playing out? Yeah, overreact I, to the first sure, game no of problem. the season. Chris. Happy to do so. Um, I still think that Spurs have a significant amount of money to spend if they would like on someone like, say, Ross Barkley. Yeah. Roger's like, come on, <laughs> I want the money! I'll, I'll also get you an Uber. Yeah, that <laughs> would be nice of you. We talked about that beforehand. But no, no I didn't mean for I, you, I meant for Ross Barkley. Oh. Um, I think that they have an incredibly strong core. Uh, I think Harry Kane is not a, what do you refer to him as, four... Four season, I four mean, season wonder. Four season wonder. I mean, you know, uh, I think he will win the Golden Boot, no matter what people say about Lukaku. Uh, I think uh, Eriksson, Dyer, uh, incredibly strong. Dele Ali, incredibly strong. The defense could use some work, mm -hmm. uh, but I just think it's a core of a great team and a great strategist and manager. At the helm. This is not the AVB days. Yeah. So I've got to say, Pochettino is the Jake Tapper of football. He is a steely man. Doesn't have Tapper's hair. It's just it, going to be difficult playing 38 games away from home this season. At the I, top. We're one and zero. One and zero. Away. Well, that was. <laughs> I know. That was a home game at Newcastle compared we're gonna to Wembley. We're going to make Wembley our home. Okay. You going <laughs> to notice the the really overuse of the we. Yeah, it's, really, it's appalling in many I know, ways. Fulham fans are uh, Fulham fans are laughing at that, but not happy. I do. When I look at that Spurs squad, you got the footballing equivalent of Ben Sass and Kamala Harris. <laughs> you got one team. You got Daniel Levy, who's like the Elizabeth Warren, abrasive, feared, mm. does things his own way. Nevertheless, he persists. <laughs> and I've got to say, I believe you will find a way, Chris Eliza. I really do. And we will say, Godspeed to you and your Fulham slash Spurs. <laughs> May you continue to be the Cameron Carter Vickers of the CNN <laughs> network. Yeah. It's here for Chris Eliza. Chris Eliza, everyone! Band. Um, okay, Spurs fans. Men in Blazers show season four. We apologize. We apologize. We're sorry. There's nothing we can do. We're under contract. Returns to sully your screens this Monday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time on NBCSN. Dark day for America. And who are the guests, Rog? Only Tottenham Hotspurs, Christian Eriksen and Toby Alderweire. <laughs> Talk about looking through the looking glass, Rog. Yep. We tried to book Eric Lamella, but he was busy. Yeah. 
You did. Okay, Rog. But our final guest, better than that, he's the host of this evening's festivities. He is resident of your city of DC by the way of our country, a man who represents all that is truly great about Britain. Tony Kornheiser. Most notably, <laughs> the blue of Chelsea Football Club, Rog. These intros were clearly written before the weekend. We welcome to the show the best diplomat in Washington since Johan Cruyff, a massive Chelsea fan, the British ambassador to these United States of America, the one and only Sir Kim Derrick. You should hide. So first off, how, how should we address you? How does one address an ambassador? I think we should be informal. Excellency's fine. <laughs> Second question. You said, you said in Italy they call you... Excellenza. Excellenza. They don't just say Excellenza, they say Excellenza. <laughs> Are we allowed to look you in the eye? <laughs> When the ambassador of, let's say, Montenegro or Albania mm. or comes, because I, I assume you play home games, I, d I doubt you go away very often to their embassies, because this is a nice one. It's a bit smaller, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, when they come over, is there an exchange of penance? How do you address each other? What's it like in the center circle before, before the coin toss? With these, with your, with, with your, your opponents. Well, they do what he, he did, of course. They yeah. bow a bit and that yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> and then it's not penance; it's more sort of business cards. Business cards. And then you exchange a glass of champagne, obviously. And do they address you as ambassador or your excellency? Do you do you address them in the same way? Um, I let them address me as excellency for the first hour or two, and then I say, <laughs> "Okay, just call me Sir Kim." Okay, very good. Essentially okay. the same way that Sam Allardyce deals with the press <laughs> in England. I want to say, I, can't, I cannot believe Sir Kim, Sir Nige. Sir Kim. Sir Kim. Nige, you can drop the sir. I can't believe that we're here in your embassy ballroom with you, the ambassador. Last year, we totaled up with your staff all the working breakfasts, the lunches, the dinners, the cocktail parties, the residents held in this ballroom, there were nearly 700 events. And I want to ask you straight up, hard-hitting question, where will tonight's event? <laughs> <laughs> where, where, where will it rank in 2017's happenings? Will it crack the top 700? I think you have a very good chance. <laughs> Result. Excellent. I feel, you, you've I got feel to like say that with Kim Jong-un in the room. I feel like Huddersfield Town. I'll tell you something. This is probably the youngest crowd we've had for a while. <laughs> not all of them, mind. <laughs> no, no, I, definitely not I, all I, of them. I'm asking for a friend. Also. <laughs> how, does, how does one go about getting a knighthood? <laughs> Stop, David Beckham's trying very hard, Rog. He's doing, he's doing all his own now, work. I'm asking for you. I'm, I'm just going to leave this sword right here. <laughs> I, 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 I want to say, if you... She does it. Ambassador. 
<laughs> if you feel the urge at all in the next couple of minutes, <laughs> you know, tonight, Dave, or whatever, I'm, I'm just going to leave this right here by your chat. <laughs> Uh, okay, 28th January 2016. You became the UK ambassador to the United States All of America. these people know that. You don't have to say that, David. Yeah, that's a long-held <laughs> dream of uh, my father's for me. That's why I called my company Embassy Row. It's <laughs> 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 the closest I could get was to go and do that. True. Okay, yeah. what is the key skill set to thrive in Washington? To have a good sense of humor? To back-channel stealthily? To be able to play four-dimensional chess? What is the skill you need to work here in Washington? It's like being, you know, a super skillful midfielder who can still tackle. Like so Matic, unfortunately, who we sold. He needs to be a bit faster than that. A bit, but, faster. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. a bit faster than Matic. Yeah. Well, well, let me translate for the ambassador. What he's saying is, you just need to have a really crazy strong handshake. It's a, <laughs> <laughs> a global diplomacy rule right now. You've just got to win the handshakes right nowadays. You've noticed that. That's the, uh, that's the, that's the key modern skill. You know, we're all working on it now. We do all these hand exercises. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm fascinated by how... Britain will have an empire again! <laughs> <laughs> I'm fascinated by how you've experienced the Premier League take root in the hearts and minds of the American audience over the past five years. Is it possibly the greatest modern engine of British soft power. It is, to be serious for a second, it is a huge um, advertisement for Britain because it is such a hugely successful league. And it's amazing to me how many Americans you meet who mysteriously announce their, their lifelong support for some really terrible football clubs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to give you one example, I met a guy the other day who said that because his father been brought up on this airbase in East Anglia. It had a lifelong support for one of the most tragic football clubs in Britain, namely Ipswich. <laughs> oh, <laughs> interesting. That's producer JW is talking yeah. about. <laughs> you all thought you were talking about Steve Bannon, didn't you? Oh, no, yeah. talking about producer J Dubs. <laughs> Sorry, producer J Dubs. <laughs> but, but he stayed with them even when they went down. And they've never come back up <laughs> and might never do so again. But, it, I mean, is it the greatest? How does it rank in terms of soft power for the United Kingdom right now? Uh, I remember once going on a trip when I used to work for uh, Prime Minister Cameron. You remember him? Yeah. And we went Dave. around Asia, and we thought we would take the Premier League trophy with us. And <laughs> Prime Minister tells the story himself in his speeches. He said... I thought everywhere I was going to be mobbed, and I was being mobbed, but people then rushed past me to pose next to the trophy <laughs> and have selfies. They weren't interested in talking to me at all. It's hugely popular everywhere. It's true, Crystal Palace fans all <laughs> over that world. But you are, <laughs> you, you, your career as a diplomat, it spans three decades. You, you, you've, you've dedicated your life to focusing on the rise of ISIS in Iraq and Syria, Russian aggression in Ukraine, the nuclear threat from Iran and Libya. It should come as no surprise then that you were Chelsea fan. No, cheap shot. <laughs> Hold me back. Oh. Hold oh. me back. <laughs> in, all, in all seriousness, in all seriousness. Are there Marines here? You, you, <laughs> you, we're on English. Good, thank you. Who's a Marine here? Thank you. I can't tell you. For those of you listening at home, a Marine in a Liverpool jersey. Respect. Incredible. 
Incredible. Respect. In your time, a Marine in a Liverpool jersey. Were you a Brad Friedel fan? <laughs> <laughs> you were. Big, big Brad Friedel fan. All right, back on it. Ambassador. <laughs> You've met any time. Yasser Arafat. True. Milosevic. Yes. You've met Saddam Hussein. Yes. I mean, where does Diego Costa rank? <laughs> I have to tell you, he's up there. He's up there. <laughs> now we can say that. It's very yes. easy to go and say that now. I can't wait until Fat Diego emerges <laughs> from his Brazilian... I mean, who doesn't want to see just how fat Diego is when he comes out of there? I mean, I just kind of... There were no pictures for the interview, but I was like, oh, I want to see how fat Diego is. I want to see. Uh, so, I know you've been a Chelsea fan for a long time. You go back to the Chopper Harris... Uh, Absolutely. Era, the 1970s, uh, that glamour. Obviously, scene. I was a fan before I was born there. Yes, clearly, clearly before I was born, when I yes. might have been there at the same time. Uh, we've got to talk, <laughs> unfortunately, about the weekend. Chelsea lose 3 2 at home to Dave Fishwick's minibus Armanda. <laughs> they lose to Burnley. I'm, I'm, genuine, I'm just pointing at West Ham fans in West Ham shirts as if they're Burnley fans. I love it. <laughs> A team that won just one game away from home last season. A game that will forever be known as the Burnley loot train attack. <laughs> By the way, Chelsea, I just want to say this. You Chelsea fans, are there any of you here tonight? You are zero and two when Antonio Conte wears a tracksuit. <laughs> I just say, Emelino Zenya, he must be rolling in his Who? voluptuously fabric grave, Dave. Watching <laughs> that. Emen Gildo Zenya. Yeah. How did you experience, both of you, how did you experience it? Because you must, Dave, I know you felt bleak. Well, no, no, I think it, this will make uh, Rog feel much better when we talk about our bleakness. It was just one of those games. You know, we panicked. 14 minutes in, I don't think you can really complain about the red card, even though in the Chopper Harris era, that wouldn't have even, that wouldn't even been, there wouldn't even the be a stoppage would have of play. would have applauded that challenge. Yes. You, were, you were talking about the Chopper Harris era backstage, about the kind of tackles that could have been enabled yeah. in those days. Yeah, those days, um, the referee would always give all the defenders a free tackle yeah. Start the match. Yeah. Do what you like for the first. Yeah. Time. When you After say tackle, that, you it wasn't really a tackle. It was no, a free. Ball had nothing to do with it. Yeah. The ball. Yeah. <laughs> the ball was nowhere near the action. Yeah. Uh, but this wasn't. This was a 14th minute red card. Changed the game. And yet Chelsea did what they did not do last season. What they mm. did two seasons ago. They panicked. They allowed three. You know, great, clever finishes. Sam Vokes. He's a big boy. He finishes well. Uh, and, uh, you know, stunning, stunning goal from outside the area, just inside can, the area. Can, can I just tell me how I saw Gary Cahill sending off? Because I saw yeah. it differently than both of you. Well, it did. might have saved us four own goals, which is a very good <laughs> <one>. <laughs> I, uh, I want to say, from a modern-day leadership perspective, I think we call Gary Cahill what he did. I think we call it modern-day presidential. <laughs> but, um, I, I want to say, here's how I look at it. I think Chelsea are a very competitive team. Antonio Conte, an incredibly competitive manager. And he wants to just grab that title back. And that title is the worst finish by a defending champion <laughs> from Leicester City. 
Yeah, we only held it for one season, Rog. Uh, I mean, here's what I want to ask you, Ambassador. I mean, Devo tweeted, Chelsea are going down. But I think that tweet was largely misunderstood. That's because immediately on my mentions, everybody was tweeting me again, Chelsea are going down. To which I think it's, which is exactly what happened two years ago when Chelsea weren't going to go down. Chelsea aren't going to go down, but Chelsea are going to have another season, I think, a little bit like the terrible, terrible season that must not be mentioned, 15-16. But what, what I love about the prospect of Chelsea going down, I will admit, is the prospect of games in the championship against John Terry's Aston Villa. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he'll still be there. That would be fire. But, I mean... Ambassador, part of diplomacy is staying calm. Pragmatism, the inability to be rattled. If there's one man to say, let's just wave a calm approach to these rough seas that are ahead, the HMS Antonio Conte, you're the diplomatic expert, harness your experience and tell us how do you understand what's going on right now? How do you see this playing out? You mean Chelsea? Yeah. <laughs> Not the world. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, was, it was a long question, to be fair. Yeah, yes, <laughs> so I lost the thread question. a bit there. I know, that it was a long question. <laughs> when you're my age, you understand. It was a long one. Yes. Look, it was a trick question. <laughs> you have to remember, if you look back at last season, go and look at the headlines in the British newspapers in about the end of September. Chelsea in crisis, had a terrible start. Maybe they didn't lose 3-2 in the first game, but they had a bad start. And then I think they went 15 games, winning every one. And this was a freak result. Uh, unlucky on the, on the red card. Um, Fabregas gets a bit angry, which he does, we all know. You know kick someone, get sent off. It'll only be the once. They'll sort it out. And they'll buy some players. David. He needs a stronger squad. Uh, I'm, I wish I could be that optimistic because I see this more like the result against Swansea at the beginning of 2015-16 season when it all started to implode. The thing that I find odd about Antonio Conte, Rod, you and I have discussed this, is that Antonio Conte thinks that he has to win the Premier League again this season. Antonio Conte doesn't, doesn't understand how it works. He doesn't understand how it works. He can take a year off. Chelsea have won more, and Chelsea fans, we should all feel good about this. We have won so much since 2004, 2005. Over the last 13 years, we've won everything there is to win in world football, including the Europa, Rogers, you know, which is the big yes. one. We've won everything. We don't need to win everything. This would be a great year for, for Antonio Conte to said, you know what, let's rebuild this year. Let's go and bring in some of the young players. Let's change. Instead, Antonio Conte decided he wanted to try and win it again. Meanwhile, up in Manchester, in Liverpool, in Tottenham, they are desperate to win. Any one of those four clubs, and I'll add Arsenal to the list as well, and maybe Everton now, any one of those clubs, <laughs> oh, if I they don't, don't win this season, it's going to be very smart. They are going to be heartbroken if they don't. There are going to be jobs lost over there. Antonio Conte will be trying to win it again in a season when he doesn't have to win it may just be blowing the whole thing. That's what I'm worried about. So it's a strange approach to leadership. It's a strange approach to leadership to try to win again. I know. <laughs> I was say, the way you describe Antonio Conte makes him sound very much like an Italian Mitch McConnell. <laughs> 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 One minute, you have all the power. The next minute, you're being humiliated by your lessers. But <laughs> I, I want to say ambassador. We... <laughs> 
stay tuned. This is going to be it's a, gonna be a short question all over the long one. No, I just want to say, cheer for Mitch McConnell. No, the, before we go, Ambassador, we talk all the time on this show, on Men in Blazers. We, we stand for a love of the game that we love, football, all forms of football, right, David? Oh, we love all codes. Particularly Premier League football, which to us is life, is meaning, the narrative threads, the narrative tentacles of that league, that game, those players, those teams. I mean, I'll speak personally in the eye. They, they give my life meaning that it otherwise does not have. <laughs> <laughs> but we love its growth, most particularly in the country that we love, a country that welcomes people from the pugnacious, proud island on which we were born with open arms in a way that many places don't. That put Dom Dwyer on their national team, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say that as someone that's been fingerprinted for American citizenship this week. I want to say... When you put your blatant pandering. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> I just have to say blatant way, pandering. Can candidly, I didn't want to say that because I believe somewhere, somewhere in the machinations of power, they'll be like, deny that one right now. <laughs> I just want to describe the fear I felt as you put your fingers on the glass and then it goes against the FBI database. And you're just like, oh my God, it's like being an Everton fan watching a football game. It's like, that, it's like <laughs> me, 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 me. and you're like, this is going to end badly. It, it didn't, and I want to say, just being for, this is a complete aside. We're still in the middle of the segment. question. Yes. This is still, a question yeah. has started, and this. we've gone, there's been a USA, USA thing, say, and we still haven't. Okay. I'm going to say this very quickly. Being fingerprinted, as I was fingerprinted, I cried. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> so before we go, <laughs> we want to give you, <laughs> Your Excellency, Sir Kim, a chance to speak about what America means to you. <laughs> that is just like that. Pete Roger. <laughs> Great question. Okay, let me be serious but brief. This is... <laughs> For any diplomat, any diplomat... This is the absolute best, most wonderful posting you can possibly have because this is a vast, beautiful, and extraordinary country with amazing people that seems to like us Brits, um, that gives us uh, you know, access and uh, uh, invitations to pretty much every, uh, every house in the country and that treats us amazingly well. And for me, being here, I've been here a year and a half, hope another two and a half years to go. It's a complete privilege and pleasure every day to wake up in this wonderful city, in this amazing country, and just follow what the hell is going on here. <laughs> what? There you go. <laughs> wow. There you go. Uh, I believe you may have a scarf. You want to give us an emotional presentation as an emotional climax to this evening with polyester. Cue. Yeah, a scarf. Oh, here we go. Right. USA. <laughs> <laughs> Ambassador. You've heard of GFOP. Yes. 
Well, these scarves celebrate GFOE, which is Great Friends of the Embassy. Oh. <laughs> yeah. By the way, this is what... This is what top-level security clearance looks like in England. Number one. Football. Football is great. Football genuinely is great. Uh, you have been great to us here uh, at the embassy. Thank you so much, Your Excellency. We want to uh, present you with something in return. We don't, take a, we don't take a gift, especially not one which we have to declare because it's a very expensive cashmere scarf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great friend, GFOE, Great Friend yeah. of the Embassy, actually stands for Great Friend of the Empire. And we, <laughs> all of this is designed as our second tier strategy to reclaim what was once ours <laughs> and soon will be again. Um, I, I just want to say monarchy is a great thing. It's a very nice Warhol of our queen, <laughs> Elizabeth above us. We want to give you um, a tie. Yeah. Um, which we had to buy off eBay because there aren't any more. <laughs> <laughs> we know in the high levels of um, diplomacy, yeah, like club ties are everything. So, David, can you explain? Yeah, this, this is a uh, this is a tie that we uh, had made. We didn't make nearly, it's the best selling thing we've ever done, and we didn't make enough of them. No, we got we got original uh, tie stock. From I actually a stole mill that one back from my dad. From, <laughs> <laughs> from a, he never wore it. From a mill in Britain. <laughs> Uh, it is uh, emblazoned with the, uh, the war pig, which, as you well know, is the uh, nickname of former Belgian coach Mark Wilmot. We had our GFOPs design a pig of war, the kind of pig that you would want to take into combat. He is um, a, a European pig. Yeah, you wearing, wouldn't want to take that one. You want an English, it's great British pig. It's men in blazers on the back from General Knot, a fantastic company. We'd like you to have that tie. We think that, will look, that will look good in yeah. Stand up. Thank you, Sir Kim Darroch. Thank you. Let's hear it for oh, Kim Darroch, His Excellency. Okay. What a night, Rog. Uh, I would like to thank again our guests, uh, the ambassador, uh, also Major Garrett, Chris Saliza. I want to thank John Johnson, uh, our GFOP Tony Award winner for producing tonight's event. Talk about destroying your own career. Can I just tell you, John Johnson, has Broadway hit after hit, is currently producing Amy Schumer and a ton of other famous people who I can't remember because they're not football <laughs> players. And he chooses to be with us tonight because he's a GFOP and a Chelsea fan, which I would not hold against him, but we are honored to have him. <laughs> but you do because you mention it every single I time. I want to say, this guy has had Tony's that are going to be reclaimed because of tonight. Producers JW, <laughs> Lexi. And Evan for producing Men in Blazers. Yeah, I want to thank our sponsors, including the uh, great campaign. Football is great. I love that. BT, Discovery Communications, better and Guinness great, for What's making this Guinness! possible. 
And of course, the ambassador, everyone at the British Embassy uh, for their wonderful hospitality. They don't normally let peasants like me in here. To be uh, they, and they might regret it. Uh, but you're riding with my team now, Rog, Team Devo. <laughs> Above all, we want to thank all of our GFOPs, right, Rog? Yeah, all of you who are here tonight. Let's hear it. And also, all of you who are going to stumble into the bar where they, they've not yet run out of beer. Yeah. I'm going to frame this picture. There is beer at the bar still, and I want to be candid. We want to be with each and every one of you here tonight. Yeah, so come join us. Uh, Teddy and the Bully Bar at 1200 19th Street, Northwest in DuPont. Very interesting. DuPont. 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 Okay, uh, wonderful. Uh, you fill us with joy. You make our life full of meaning, even Rogers. We never take that for granted. This has been a very special evening for me as a loyal subject of the British Empire. <laughs> Tonight, in this ballroom, with the ambassador, with you GFOPs, has been a dream come true for me as a man who adores the United Kingdom and also adores America. To be here in this embassy in DC reminds me of a couple of lines of Rupert Brooks' poetry. Rog, if I should die, think only this of me. There is some corner of a foreign field that is England and shall forever be a body of England's breathing English air washed by the rivers, blessed by sons of home. I don't think I can take any more, Rog. I've never loved you more. I've never loved you more. I want to say to you, for me, there's meaning in tonight the lies with me about a return to DC, Washington, a city that I lived in and loved for four years in the late 1990s. I met my wife in the sadly now defunct Toledo Lounge. Her then boyfriend, <laughs> also now sadly defunct. I I asked what happened to him, and Rog can't tell me. Mossad. <laughs> he introduced us. And I'll say almost as importantly, DC was where I lived when Premier League games started to be broadcast regularly on the then Fox Soccer channel. Fox Soccer. And some of you may be here tonight who remember that time because I inhaled them. I inhaled them with a small yet motley, regular expat crew at what was then called Planet Fred's Bar. Now, Lucky Bar. <laughs> we would all ritually gather at 10 a.m. in the morning to feast on the likes of Sheffield Wednesday laboring against Birmingham City. <laughs> and we would watch it as if it was Boca playing River Plate. <laughs> And there are only ever three fingernails in those burgers, I gotta tell you. <laughs> a couple of years later, when I'd left and I moved to New York, I was back in DC when the USA played Italy at World Cup 2006. And I walked past the Lucky Bar, that amazing institution in Washington, DC, that from the early days believed in football. And I, I, please God, that belief has paid off for that remarkable place. 
Because when I walked past in 2006, the bar was jam-packed before the game. There was a line sneaking around the block down there. And I, I remember saying to my wife, it's as if the Beatles had reformed that kind of line. And that widespread sense of celebration that surrounded that entire 2006 tournament, it, it moved me deeply at the time. It was looking at the lucky bar that I realized that day, football, it was America's sport of the future no more. And I decided then and there to devote my energies, to make a bet that I would devote my life to growing the game that I love in the country that I love. The game I love, David. Yeah, soccer. I was, I was at that game in Gelsenkirchen. I wish I'd been here with you at the Lucky Bar, Rog. <laughs> and Mrs. B. Unlike many of the other bets that I've laid in my life, this one paid off. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I, I actually met you a couple of weeks later, David. Yeah, you did. And what was born? Well, Men in Blazers, or the Off the Ball podcast. And if two balls can do all of this, to be here tonight with you in Washington, D.C., in this ballroom, in the British Embassy, with the ambassador, through soccer in the United States, and I want to be clear, I'm not just saying this because it's a World Cup year, America, <laughs> but I want to leave you with... A, a unique territories World Cup, yeah. Russ. <laughs> I want to leave you with a singular thought. Anything is possible. Yeah. Courage, everybody. Thank you. Courage. Thank you.